Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wake up in the morning feeling like... Waterman is extremely well. She's very slippery. You don't own me. Okay, now the tough question. Is this a try? Yes or no? Just because... I'm a woman. <laughs> the retirement pod that you don't want me to refer to as a retirement pod. Danielle Sean Waterman, you are no longer an athlete. You are a has-been. You're just like me. You're a normal person. How do you feel? Wonderful being described like that. Thanks. <laughs> I kind of feel like it's the same as when you get married. Not that either of us are married um, or even engaged. but. <laughs> Um, but you know, it kind of, it's written, it's, it's written down, it's formalized. Nothing's really changed. Kind of how it, how it is really. I guess from my perspective, the, probably the most galling and difficult thing to have been dealt during lockdown when life was hard enough was that, yeah, I mean, you dangled the carrot of you and I being team GB teammates, making a tilt for the seven side at Tokyo 2021. And that's gone up in smoke with your official retirement. So does that mean that you definitely, definitely out of contention. You're not going to make a comeback. You're not going to do a Kim Clijsters. I, I'm not quite sure what carrot I was dangling. Um, maybe I need it in the gym now because I'm definitely not moving very fast. And actually went to the gym two days in a row and was struggling to walk up the stairs. And, and, and Simone said to me, do you remember when you used to do more than that in one day? And I'd be like, I was like okay, yes, point proven. I am unfit. I have a relatively old body now. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I would like to come back for the Olympic Games, even though going on the cross trainer for 30 minutes is a, is a good starting point. <laughs> is that why now? Is that? what's prompted the decision to announce the retirement from all forms of rugby is it that the body's just given up i don't even know that i don't want to go to olympics i think i made a decision about sevens a little while ago um i don't know i think well bianca blackburn pointed out and um, one of the girls i used to coach played at gloucester heartbeat pointed out in a very loud northern accent from hull that i was twice the age of a couple of players in the gloucester team last year um I think from from my perspective, the playing I love, being around the girls at Wasps and you know Giselle at DOR and is brilliant fun. But um, 
I didn't enjoy it as much when I didn't have that motivator of England um, because I, I didn't play as well because I wasn't training as hard. But then I also need to look sensibly at now I'm supposedly an adult, what I want to do as a career. And there's so many opportunities that I have worked hard to, to put myself forward for. Um, and now they're coming to fruition. And actually, it's an exciting opportunity for me to step into that now. But you can't play um, at the same time as working in the media if you want to make a good go of it because the games are at the weekend and there's clashes so sorry guys don't look great on screen <laughs> you know one of the things I was actually concerned about when I'm commentating one of the big things for me is writing my own notes my little dodgy thumbs if I injure my thumbs I'm not gonna be able to write notes um but in all seriousness you know I uh, I've been really lucky. Giselle massively supported me um, when I was looking to be playing, but then there was continual clashes. And the other side of it is the club game now has gone from strength to strength in relation to the amount of training the girls are doing. Yeah. And I would never I want dipping in and out of it where possibly once upon a time you could have done that. Now the professionalism is that much higher. Yeah, like I, I would need to fully commit. You know, the girls are absolutely smashing training. Even the sevens girls that have gone to Wasps are complaining about how fit the 15s girls were. I mean, that says something. Yeah, and it's it's wicked for the game, but at the same time, it's a huge commitment. And, and I've done enough. Um, I think the other part of it is that I'm really happy to be able to have stepped away in relatively one one piece. Um, and to be able to make the decision myself is something that not many players get to do. I, I got to do it as an international and I got to do it with this. So, yeah, I think now is a good time um, to invest in chatting to people like you, Laura Jane. Well, let's go back to the beginning, perhaps not the very early days of a young <laughs> yeah, well, mini rugby and basically having your heart broken that you weren't allowed to play with the boys anymore fast forward a couple of years and the whippersnapper that played for England as a teenager would she have had any concept of what the career ahead of her could have been what you've achieved what you've done where you've been oh no way I think it probably actually for me the journey started in between that point so at 15 I got selected into the England Senior Academy um, I'd been to an England under 16s camp at Loughborough and um yeah, it's where I first met Fisher, Kim Oliver, um, God, there's like loads of names that were part of that camp uh, when I think back to it. And, um, and I, I played for the under 16s team and I did all right. And then the England coach at the time, Rob, well, one of the coaches, Rob Drinkwater was like, you've done really well. Can you come and train with the under 18s? And I was like, yeah, all right, but I'm knackered. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I went over and I think I, to be honest, I think they put me in the centre and, I like ran a, I scored a couple of tries and ran some good lines and they said to me why did you run that line I was like I don't know there was space there like I just kind of just loved it I just loved being back and I, I haven't really had a chance to play that much um because obviously having to stop with the boys and there just wasn't the opportunity so just getting to be able to run around was awesome um and then going in getting selected into the England Academy I was 15 the next youngest was Rocky at 19 um, I remember one of the first camps that we went to, uh, Streety, who was our coach, at the time um, we were training and then England A were there and England were, and we was all three pitches and Streety got us in at the end and he was always a bit of a like motivator, he was like loved it and he said look you literally two pitches away from playing for England 
and I and I actually think that that was the first time I probably thought oh my god like I I really am and then walking up to the changing rooms I was walking behind Jill Burns who played number eight absolute legend of the game and I remember thinking I, I don't think I ever will because she's massive <laughs> <laughs> and I then felt my age I felt 16. <laughs> So you were capped really, really young as an England full player. What was that like? You you were essentially a child playing full grown women's rugby. What was that like? It was a bit mad. I, I always had older friends. Like my, my best friend growing up was three years older than me and hung out with my brother's mates or just fancied them all. But um, <laughs> being with older people was different. But then being in that environment was, it was quite intimidating. But at the same time, I was quite a chopsy young girl and I got stuck in. And I remember sitting actually at the table with the squad before my first cap and they were chatting about oh, how long we've played rugby for and that type of thing. And actually, I had played rugby longer than a significant amount of the women that were sat there, even though they'd got over 50 caps for England, which showed, you know, just how much how different the game was for my generation coming through in that a lot of them had started at university and I hadn't even got to university age. Um, so it was a, it was a, it was a slight shift and, and change of changing the tide in terms of the girls coming through. Um, but I was really lucky. Like the women that were there were absolutely amazing. Like they were just such wicked women. Susie Appleby, who was my coach at Oldfield school, my, teammate um and partner in crime at clifton uh and then to be on the bench for her for england for my first cap was super special and she's someone that's had a massive impact in my career and has been a, a brilliant friend um but she was someone that i really looked up to because she was a brilliant player but also so much fun and i think that the attitude she had alongside the others really allowed me to just enjoy it and not be too serious about it because you you put the pressure on yourself to perform anyway you don't need like everyone else being super intense um although the team manager did say to me on the bus on the way to the ground she's like oh um are you like are you nervous nolly and i was like uh, thinking right give a good answer i was like yeah um yeah like i, I you know i'm but i'm yeah i'm nervous but i'm really excited and she was like well you should be and just walked <laughs> up and it's like <laughs> those days at Clifton and how important that club was to shaping your early career. But before that came the college years. And I'm always really blown away by how many of the girls who you were in college with were also part of that World Cup winning side. So what were those <laughs> days like? And, and just remind anyone who doesn't know who was there. Well, yeah, so we, we, we toured in, I think 2012 um, over to Canada, maybe 2011. And there was seven of us from Oldfield Academy um, in the, the side. I mean, I don't think the fact that Streeter is our coach at school influenced the fact that he then coached us for England, but um, <laughs> we were all justified our selection, but it was myself, Kim Oliver, Claire Allen, Rachel Burford, Heather Fisher, Cat Merchant and George Rosario. I think the minimum number of caps we all received was 40. Um, so yeah, to know those girls for my whole career and and to be part of, there was five of us in that World Cup squad. Um, Kimmy had retired through injury and George was super unlucky to, to not make the cut. Yeah, I think I think one of the special friendships in the game was actually with Cat Merchant, um, playing at 15 and her on the wing and, you know, a prolific try scorer for England, but just the most awkward person you could ever imagine. And so I used to, like, we played together at Worcester and walking back, I used to, like, try and hold her hand because she hated anyone, like, touching <laughs> <laughs> or like stroke her face and stuff wind up you do that now to me with hugs 
Even in the World Cup, I what for just for a laugh, I used to mark. She'd be like, "What's the call?" And I'd like go at her, and she'd be like, "What?" And be like, just, just for the sake of it, we'd just make just have a laugh. Um, yeah, so I think it was it was devastating for her. She had to retire after the that World Cup because of concussions, and you know I think she would have gone on to to carry on and become an Olympian and, and probably had the same length career as me. Watching yeah, there's some special like friends. And, and Kimmy retire through injury. Does that make you more appreciative of the fact that you got to do this on your own terms, especially in an England shirt? I think so. I think if you look at any, any elite athlete, injury plays such an important part in how your body copes with performance. And there's that coupled with performance as well. So to be able to step away when I was playing well and I was, my body was performing I I actually got a speed PB in my last um season which wasn't too bad so yeah I mean not that uh, even at the start of my career you'd even know what a GPS was I don't even think we had I think we just had Nokia phones I'm not quite sure there was even iPhones <laughs> definitely weird iPhones you started in fact, in 1955 in fact my first ever game um my the we used to get stats and obviously now like it's like you're reeling in the numbers that you get like from GPS from um match analysis whatever we i've still got at home an a4 bit of paper where the head coach jeff richards had written handwritten our names and done a tally chart next to all of the stats um yeah i've still got that and then we um and my first few game well first few years of games for england were on vhs um and i, I remember when they went to dvd and it was this massive thing and i was like mum you get i was at uni and i was like mum you have to buy me a dvd player my tv has only got a, a vhs part <laughs> i have to say i do find it i was i was at your mum's recently with you and i find it amazing that you know you watch england men's players now are, are given two shirts per test match one that they can keep, one that they can trade. And you and I were going through old stash of yours and there are actually so few England jerseys there, despite the illustrious career that you've had. And that says a huge amount about where women's rugby was when you first started and budgets and the fact that they're old like cotton trader grandpa shirts that look like they've been found in the back of a cupboard at Twickenham from like 1948. Yeah, these will do for the girls, they can wear these. I actually think that they're probably the some of the shirts we wore were taken from fans when the new ones came through and they bought them in the shop. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I actually, I, I think from 82 caps, I probably got less than 10 uh, shirts. Um, no, maybe more because we got a couple for World Cup. But I think, yeah, we used to wear, we used to have one pair of white shorts, one pair of socks. Um, we'd been given, we'd have this one shirt for not necessarily this season I think for a tournament normally um no maybe actually a season at the start my mum <laughs> I used to send my shorts back to my mum and um and I was lucky because I played a couple of seasons they didn't change them so I had a couple of pairs and Big Sue had a technique so anyone that wears heavy duty white cotton shorts now hand soap because you what white is the worst colour yeah. as well well isn't it Makes white sense. and playing in November and March it's not like you can avoid the mud um I mean I did try but um. yeah we know that <laughs> talk to me about so talking about kit and it's a story that I'm well aware of but not everybody who listens to this will be 2014 World Cup uh massive deal England going into it heavily tipped so did you have boot sponsors queuing up at the door to send you off to the World Cup with a couple of pairs of boots Where, where'd your boots come from <laughs> Oh, um, no, I, I, I didn't have a boot sponsor, unfortunately. Um, and 
yeah needed a couple of pairs i traveled with a, to tournaments with three pairs yeah nike i wear nike boots they're quite expensive and so i got mine head to raise some money and actually they did a raffle i signed a couple of photographs um and uh gave away some kit and they did a raffle at the end of season dinner um and raised some money to be able to pay for my boots and my trainers so yeah um it but it was awesome actually because it was really special it's kind of like my club um you know allowed started my journey um and then they were part of it at the at the end well not at the end end but actually at a point where at i got pinnacle to so let's talk about 2014 world cup final scoring a try in a world cup final talk me through that try like in of all the tries you've scored is that one that sticks out because of the pure skill involved or pure luck or pure panic panic and the fact that i shouted so loud i probably burst a few blood vessels in my eyes um because it was maggie that had to pass me the ball <laughs> she's not exactly renowned for um for passing in her career but um yeah i nolly you're an absolute legend i can't believe you're leaving the game and retiring um you've been brilliant to play alongside you've been an absolute um superstar you know no one in in the world of rugby men's or women's rugby can sidestep like you um but do you know what's amazing is that you're now moving on to another chapter in your career um, in the world of broadcasting and media. And I know you're at the moment you're absolutely nailing it and you're going to continue to do that. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing your career and your life flourish. So, look, you're going to be truly missed um, in the world of rugby, but I know that you're going on to bigger and better things. So, Nolly, thank you for uh, a fantastic sporting career. It was pure panic at the start because I wasn't expecting to be on that phase. And one thing we'd spoken about was like holding our feet, making sure we weren't overrunning plays, keeping depth. So I'm like thinking, right, there's going to be a contact and then it'll be shifted. And then Tamara Taylor pulls out this, the most ridiculous dummy and dummies me. So I'm like, absolutely like at full tilt running down the wing to try and catch them. And then Maggie's there. She does like an ultimate like fadeaway pass. Um, and then, yeah, like I genuinely didn't know what to do when I got to the line. So I like slide in and I'm like, ah! and like panic and put my hands in the air. Um, but it's really cool because there's like a wicked photo of um, Kat like stood over me, like looking at me and we're like grinning at each other. Um, so yeah, and what made me laugh was also my brother said at the end of the game, they were, who, I mean, they were obviously a little bit drunk, um, but they'd sent off my brother's girlfriend to go to the bar. And she came back and she's only little, so she's carrying these like drinks and spent about 5 million euros on them all. Um, and they put them down on the floor. And as I scored, they booted over all of oh, the no. And it went all over these French supporters who had played in the game before. And they these were and like they were like, oh my god, there's gonna be like this big fight. Anyway, they were like, they were saying in their not in a French English accent, shouting because obviously when someone doesn't understand, you just speak slowly and louder. Yeah. And they just said that it was their sister that had scored. And so all of a sudden there became this like little mini party in that part of the oh, stand because they'd made mates with all the French people around them. Um, and it cost them a fortune, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> so that World Cup win, you obviously by that point had a couple of runners up medals already in your locker. So what was that journey like? Not just that four year World Cup cycle, but becoming a World Cup winner. Oh, yeah, like, you know, I didn't even know where my silver medals were before that World Cup. I I had to find them when I got home and I, I couldn't even look at them. They just signified losing to me. I just honestly couldn't, I 
I don't, I don't hate them, but I just thought they were just represented everything that I wasn't about, which was losing. And yeah, the first 2006 was just complete heartbreak and it's 21 and the first time I'd experienced a loss like that at, in such a momentous occasion. And then 2010, I think it was more devastated because we'd done so much to move the game forward, to move our team forward. And then to lose on home soil was re really brutal. Um, and then in 2011, I, I was actually thinking the other day, what was my journey to that World Cup? And um, yeah, 2011, I ruptured my quad off of my hip bone. 2012, I had a Liz Frank and a broken foot. 2013, I had a grade three hamstring tear injured my knee missed the sevens world cup and also only played 40 minutes in that whole year <laughs> and then um, ironically i got to october 2013 and was like this is crazy like i can't keep going i'm nearly back from my knee injury i i'd gone away and um, traveling to um west coast of america and i thought you know what if i'm gonna have a proper run into this world cup i need to I need to really dedicate myself and I was working at Hartbury at college and I was focusing so much on their careers and I and I loved the role I, I absolutely loved it but I knew that I'd have to um, make some different like make some changes because I just had had all these injuries um, and then so I got all the girls back and uh, had this big reunion they got me amazing flowers got home and um, like any good florist cut the bottoms off the flowers and then didn't realize that I'd knocked these neat scissors, heavy scissors that my brother probably got from TK Maxx or somewhere <laughs> for the most ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous item in your kitchen. But they work, they cut, they cut the stuff off the bottom, but they also dropped onto my foot and stabbed the tendon in my big toe and severed it and cut the artery in the process. So I can remember you telling me that story. I was shooting with you before the World Cup at Loop, you and Maggie. And I can remember you telling that story. It was before we were friends. We were, you know, acquaintances. I mean, I'd say we're probably acquaintances now more than friends. But uh, <laughs> I can remember you telling me that story. And I, I like looking at you like, oh, my God, like, what is wrong with her? <laughs> what, what an idiot. Yeah, it wasn't ideal prep. So my first five months of leaving my career, not having employment, trusting that I would be able to earn a bit of money, so that I could pay my mortgage, but focusing so much. When people ask, like, what does it take to be a world champion? Well, you have to give everything, and I was prepared to do that. Um, I was fortunate that I had the support of my family, you know, as backup. But, yeah, first five months I spent rehabbing my toe injury. Um, came back, played a bit of sevens, and then, yeah, went in and into the 15s environment. I think, so if you look at my four years prior to um 2014 not ideal prep not not the, <laughs> not the best way um to feel like you're in the best shape but i think what it did do was give me a massive appreciation for what drives me what motivates me what like why i was doing what i was doing and i think the only the only really difficult part which i then faced after the world cup in, with the, the the big knee injury that i've you know i've spoke about before was my confidence in the team and feeling like I needed to earn the shirt and earn the right to, to feel like the girls knew that I was good enough to be there. And, and actually that's probably where street team had the biggest influence because he trusted me. He trusted that I could get back for the injury from the injuries, believed in me. He never put pressure on me when I came back into training. He just wanted me to be there with a smile because he knew that actually I would do a good job if that was the case. Um, 
so yeah I think I think having known him for so long at that point um, I think made a big difference and then paid off because of how I was able to perform going into the World Cup. Definitely one of the greatest players that has played women's rugby um, unparalleled in her footwork her desire and commitment to to what she's wanted to do for the game and just um fantastic person and um somebody that i've always enjoyed coaching and being around and i'm sure she'll do some amazing things post her retirement one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care that's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One thing I just want to go back to is you mentioned a little bit earlier on that you had to dig those um, World Cup runners-up medals out. And I have to mention this because I do think it's hilarious. I've never seen either of them. Um, however, your mum on the windowsill in the bedroom at her house, <laughs> your UIC Archer's Sports Personality of the Year runners up, not even like the winner <laughs> trophy on the windowsill of all of the things that you've won in your career. The thing that your mum has on the windowsill in the bedroom is your UIC, now Cardiff Met, Archer's Sports Personality of the Year runners up. But it's also the fact that you are an Olympian, a World Cup winner, one of the most decorated England players of all time. And yet people have this thing because of what's on your Wikipedia page that when they introduce you, they always, always have to mention the fact that you were Gloucester Sports Personality of the Year. <laughs> it's so weird. I don't even have a comeback. Like I genuinely... Is that the highlight of your career being named the Gloucester Sports Personality of the Year? You know what the, the most ironic ironic thing ironic. about that is um it's professional sports person of the year and I wasn't even professional <laughs> it's Mike Tyndall I feel sorry for I'm trying to work <laughs> out oh, James Simpson Daniel whoever would have probably won it every other year they were probably like we can't give it to Sinbad again what about Nolly Nolly would be good oh, on. the women have won a world cup we need a woman um <laughs> there we go she's she'll do <laughs> no I'm very proud of having lived in 
um, in Gloucester. Although I actually have spoken to people who get really, um, not offended, I don't know, I actually think a little bit offended by the fact that Gloucestershire gets named at, as part of my achievements when I'm a Somerset girl. And so they're like, you're not you're not from Gloucester and I'm like I I know I, I just live there so there's this like battle of the southwest oh, counties <laughs> it's like when people say that I'm from the valleys and I'm like I'm not from the all of Wales isn't the valleys I'm from the Vale. you do look a little bit like you're from oh god get <laughs> like stop being so jealous of me you know what my my um in lockdown my great aunt May who is from the valleys which yeah. one I'm not quite sure and I know there are plenty um she was 101 that's amazing mm. And, I, and actually, one of, the, one of the coolest things I've done, actually, talking about World Cups and careers and stuff, I, um, I took my World Cup medal back to Minehead, and, um, and it was really cool. Like, I went up to see the minis and juniors, but beforehand, I went to go to Great Aunt May's house, and, um, and she went, oh, isn't this lovely? It's great. And she went, Wales haven't done this, have they? <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's nice, <laughs> didn't you? Right, talk to me, just because now you've offended all the Welsh people, talk to me about being not just an ING representative, but a Team GB representative and the Olympics and what that represents to you. I know that as somebody who is a born winner, and I don't actually mean that tongue in cheek, I know it's something that is very much ingrained into your personality. The Olympics for you is something that's tied up in not complete positivity because you didn't come away from it with a medal. But what does it mean to you now you're retired to say that you were an Olympian? Um, yeah, I think in the Olympics, the even numbers are the worst, you know, <laughs> second and the fourth, because it's like literally you finished on a loss. I mean, we finished on two losses because we lost the, <laughs> the playoff and then that. But um, I think I think when it comes to Rio and the Olympics and, and stuff like that, I've kind of got like scrambled egg, scrambled egg emotions. It's like... Some of it's good, some of it's a bit weird. Um, as you know, I don't have that much stuff up of Rio or being an Olympian in my house. In fact, I have any, nothing apart from my cap. And that's only because I didn't want to put it in a drawer because I didn't want to squash it. Um, so <laughs> um, I don't know, I, I think the rugby side of things is, is something that um, I still find hard. I, I find how I performed, I wasn't in the, best physical shape probably I was in good shape but I come back from a big injury and I probably and it wasn't until after that I realized how far I needed to go or could go um to getting back to normality um but yeah the the experience of being an Olympian and being part of team GB is something now that I finished I can reflect on and be very proud of um if you take the kind of the rugby element out of it and also just how much fun it was um and how ridiculous it was you know the fact that we were queuing to go into the village you have to go through all these scanners your accreditation and all that type of stuff and like the Jamaican team were there and Usain Bolt's just cruising in with his like um suitcase and stuff like that and then being in physio and and Celia, our physio, was like, oh, um, Nani, can you roll over? And I was like, oh. and I, I was like proper teenager, like, oh, like, all right. And then like, it was because Andy Murray was getting treated to um, beds away. Um, yeah, so, like going to, um, after we competed, going to the athletics and we got to see Usain Bolt run, but Jess Ennis Hill was competing that day as well. It was the first day of the heptathlon and, um, 
and she walked past and I was sat with Rodders and uh, and she like looked up and I was filming it. So I was like filming her like a proper fan, like with our little Team GB flag and there wasn't that many Team GB flags. So she obviously spotted us and I was like filming her like a super fan. And then she like clearly clocked us and I was like, oh my God, I was so embarrassed. So I dropped the camera behind the flag. Anyway, she like waved and was like, well done. Cause it was like the de two days after the boys had won their silver. And she was like, well oh. done. And, and Rodder's face was like, oh my God. And I was like, oh. anyway, afterwards he was literally like, please tell me you've just filmed that so I can show the boys. And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm so sorry, mate. Oh my God. I've got so bad. Any story ever sums up your technical ability. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Like, and actually, you know what? Having the, the bus trip um, there with Rodder's um we were chatting actually about career because he played and I played and we're the same age and and I was like look I both don't know ginger. whether I want to carry on pardon both ginger <laughs> both fantastic people yeah don't, oh, that's well. don't be gingerous um and uh yeah he actually said you know just because we've come to an end of a cycle doesn't mean that you need to finish on that like who tells you that you should re be retiring if you're still enjoying it you're still playing well and I was a bit like uh, neither at the, top, at the moment but um yeah so I think that was cool Rod we then after that went back and nailed the um the free McDonald's which is true everyone asks about McDonald's I knew this would amaze you you basically queue up and order what you want and they give it to you for free in the athlete village it's so funny it's literally like hyenas so they're literally like everyone's literally like <sighs> like go wild for it um because obviously after competition but you can it, it's funny when you see the athletes that are competing at the end of the or don't finish until the end because they're just literally like looking and like oh, so like the marathon and people like that so close but yet so far damn maybe i do need to go to an olympics <laughs> you know what it's it's so mad like when I think about it it's crazy so that in Rio there was all these like um, big tower blocks that they were transforming into like a local community afterwards and in the dining hall that it's huge like you can't explain how big this hangar is and it because it equates to um, over 10,000 people eating in there which is bigger than Minehead my town so you've got my whole town in there eating and um yeah, like in the queues, like I was stood behind the um, the American gymnasts, the girls that had just oh, like just won the and they were all make all their makeup, and I literally felt like a, a basketballer stood with them because I was so much bigger than them. I'm so tall, standing over them. Um, but and then like I was with Skaz at the at one of the counters, and one of the gymnasts, the Chinese gymnast, so they're so small. Yeah. And um, I think like Skaz turned around and he crushed her to the into the side with her bum. <laughs> it's really funny. It's like poor little gymnast like squished. But um, the other the other part of the dining hall, so there was different coloured chairs. So we sat always Team GB was sat in blue. So more, different from rugby because obviously we were always as a big group but there's lots of individuals that would go in at different times so you'd spot team gb people and you could sit together anyway it was relatively near the door and in so everyone had talked in 2012 about um there being massive big uh, bowls of condoms um in the athlete village and i was like oh yeah like jokes like whatever anyway in the in the dining hall by the door there was this huge big bubblegum dispenser and so we were like oh what's this like sweet yay and it wasn't it was dispensing condoms 
But what was really funny was the fact that like a bubble gum machine, you know, you put like a pound in or whatever, and then you have to, or 20, you turn it and turn it yeah. and turn it and, and it get crank, crank, crank. So these, so these guys would go over to the um, condom machine and literally have to stand there for about 30 seconds trying to get just one out. It was honestly the funniest thing. And we'd be like, you're a five mate, no chance, don't do it. <laughs> Can you imagine if you are like an individual athlete, you're a female golfer or a female tennis player and you live and play on a tour that's full of individual athletes and you go to the Olympics and you are sat dining next to a women's rugby team, having never been in an environment with the kind of animals that you girls are. I'd love to see their faces, to be honest. To be fair, so I did the classic... Um, we were on the bus going over into into Rio, um, into Coco Cabana, and um, it was really cool. Like they had like these shuttles and stuff. It took a fair amount of time to get there, but like there was a group of the rugby girls, and there was a an individual lady stood there, and I was like, "Oh, hey, how you doing?" And she's like, "Yeah," so she was really lovely, really sweet. And she's like, oh, "Are you the rugby girls?" We we're like, "Yeah," chatting, and I was like, "What sport do you do?" And she's like, oh, "I play tennis," and I was like, oh, "Okay, cool." Yeah, she had a cotter. <laughs> I think the worst part of it is the fact that I'm just so bad. And then I looked and I literally, I said, I think I was fishing. And I was like, I thought she was a tennis player because she's got long socks. <laughs> Not the fact that she's one of the most famous tennis players in the world. Um, you know, women's number one in GB. And <laughs> wow. This is she was so awesome. Fun. Actually sitting there uh, chatting to her. She was so much fun and she she actually commented about how cool it was to have the rugby lot there um, just as like a different crack and a different like because the biggest thing for us is that we are a team yeah. and we and we always act like that um, whereas every other sport you think that they would but they don't like they're really quite horrible to each other yeah. so I think we were like yay cheering and they were like oh they actually mean it. <laughs> Within sevens, you do nurture a kind of different kind of team ethos because of touring and stuff. And Zoom glass, posh one. Oh, I've got a um, Cardiff County Council <laughs> cup. It's only because I normally drink out of pint glasses and they make my head look like a complete tiny pea. <laughs> anyway. I poured this last night. That's how much I've drunk of it. How, how angry does that make you? It looks like a urine sample. If your urine's that colour, you need to panic. <laughs> It should be clear. I've seen worse. Not from me, but I have seen worse. That's something Great. we have to do. That's but one thing I won't miss. For the podcast. That's one thing I won't do, I, I won't miss. So through the through the uh, my career, they like introduced all these different things. So we would do first of all, we would do monthly monitoring. So we would have to fill out through the year our, our uh, through the month our training. We'd handwrite it. I think it was like on I don't even know what the calendar thing Microsoft something and you'd post it so you'd have to like handwrite it and then pop it in the post um but I was telling Ellie Kildun this in my last season with England she was like oh my god I love post I was like, <laughs> that's, <laughs> how you, that's how you can tell a Gen Z because they don't get posts <laughs> so you have to handwrite it. and I remember when the girls came in I can't remember who it was but there was like first couple of new caps I was only young anyway and they're like oh you have to write your period on there and then um, they were like, oh, and then anyway, so the coaches stood up in front of the group and they were so awkward because they were like, right, the information that you need to put on these documents <laughs> is going to be training. But so we went from handwriting stuff to then we had um, like 
obviously DVDs and different stuff and analyzing things. And then obviously then came in the hydration and nutrition and supplements and all that type of stuff. And so we had to on, had to weigh ourselves in the morning for hydration, but also take a urine sample down and for morning monitoring. And honestly, the amount of urine parts that people have I've like had in my pocket at breakfast and leaked in my kit, or people <laughs> leaking on the table, it is not okay. Like that is not something that I, yeah. And then Fisher actually told me the other day, I probably shouldn't tell you tell this because she's still a current player. She was like, mate, never did it in a pot, wasn't going to wee on my hands, so I just got tap water out of the thing. And I was like, I don't think that's a representation of, of urine, Heather, when it's just full, it's just water. She's like, yeah. Anyway, do it in a little ice cream Tupperware and pour it in. Why are we talking about urine samples? This is a <laughs> celebration of your career. This is the reality of elite, of elite athletes. It's not all the glamour that you see as a journalist. It's all of the joys of, um, yeah, testing. on your hands. So talk to me me about the glamour, talk to me about the seven series and favourite places to play. Um, So the series that I played on wasn't actually a series to start off with. I've spoken recently quite a lot about the fact that my first ever European trip, they didn't think that women could play on a full size field. So we had blow up posts. Um, Fast forward a few years. um, Yeah, we... We, actually before 2010 we did quite a lot of invitational sevens which was probably the highlight of my whole rugby career uh touring dubai um amsterdam um kinsale crazy yeah uh craziness um we got banned after getting ill in getting all got a virus in 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 the in dubai in 2010 and they were like you you can't go anymore we were like, oh that's rubbish <laughs> oh, wow uh, yeah, because we had to miss England training because we got we'd all got ill. I think I, I I'm not. I think it was some food that we picked up. Or okay. picked, yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, the um, the sevens. Yeah, when when it did go into an official series, unfortunately, it was around when I I think it was 2012. Um, was when I was going through my ludicrous amount of injuries, so I didn't actually play for quite a while. Um, and then to uh, to finally get out on the series and to play was awesome. Um, I think I think Dubai will always be my favourite stadium, my um, favourite place to play in. I think playing Invitational there, followed by playing um, in a World Cup there in 2009. Um, we did rubbish, but it was still cool um, to be playing under lights in front of like 50 odd thousand people. Um, and then actually last year going back for the first time ever as a non-playing kind of like to work over there with HSBC for the World Series. Um, yeah, it it was still amazing. It's just got such a cool vibe. It's just madness. The best. Hungover drinking Pocari sweat. I guess Although, my it's probably a little bit different. To be fair, one of the trips we um so we did sneak in some alcohol that looks like water. Um and uh unfortunately the girls didn't realize and we Bukhari sweat in the game is quite strong so they were putting half and half but the half that they put in wasn't the water it's the alcohol so we were basically playing sevens with alcohol <laughs> wouldn't recommend it um Bukhari sweat's a great mixer though so yeah, yes. at the end of the day the moral of the story yeah. was we found a good mixer i think that the tournament... to, do you think at some point we'll have like a tryhards invitational side at to buy sevens i feel like that's something we should really aim for well, I, me I as a, like, say that. role 
funny you should say that because we are looking into taking over we looked into it this year but unfortunately the tournament's cancelled for external teams but potentially taking the italian cavaliers over there to play um on tour we do need maybe an english-speaking liaison officer um that knows so anyone that would like to apply for that role um yeah anyone that would like to apply needs to uh, get in contact <laughs> Am I, not I think the other, you know what, the, talking about tryhards tours, I think that's the, the Hong Kong trip last year. Honkers, Bonkers and Honkers doesn't even do it anywhere close to justice. Um, I think that's probably the one stadium and the one tournament I would have loved to have played in. I was injured More the year the that England won. Stadium. Pardon? More than the Principality Stadium, because I know that's a stadium that you always wish that you'd had an opportunity to run out in. Yeah, I think, well, you know, I think Hong Kong Sevens um, for my Sevens career and the Principality for my Fifteens, I think, would have been two wicked places. Um, yeah, the, the Barbar probably the only way I would have been able to would have been through the Barbarians because England have never surprisingly been invited to play Wales there. Um, although it is really cool to see the women playing there because for a, a significant part of my career, we were well the girls were told that they'd never play at the principality um that there was an unwritten ruling um about female sport being played there which obviously um completely agreed with um, but that's been overturned and they are playing there which is cool and i think maybe that leads on to the now and yeah like i think what is cool about my career is how much has changed i think i have huge frustrations which will be coming out in pods coming soon um <laughs> about about some of the changes that are happening far too slowly. Um, but stepping back and looking at the athletes that are involved in the game, the standard of the rugby, knowing how awesome it is um, for people to watch, and not just in the New Zealand games, you know, a lot more test matches now are cracking games of rugby. And uh, yeah, it is pretty cool to now see that and to see them being played in proper stadiums, you know, where you play in. We played at London Welsh training grounds. We've played we played internationals at um, Old Albanians, nice grounds, but um, you know, I, I couldn't even imagine an England Test match being played there now. Okay. Um, Isha Rugby Club, um, all sorts of different places. They've got a heated pitch at Isha, John Inverdale. They they definitely didn't have it when I played. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think those things, you know. They might seem small for people, but they're massive changes to to not just um, not just to sell the game for um, all the fans and you know to to make it look better on media. We always talk about that, but from a player's perspective, it makes you feel so much more special when you're actually playing in a venue that is for professional elite people um, yeah. athletes, um, and that's what the girls get to experience now, and that's cool. Like I really like that. You touched on. Um... Hong Kong last year which was a hell of a trip and obviously <laughs> we went to Japan as well last year this year not so many trips but I've taken the baton of some some big names in terms of being your roomie I am now your um, self-appointed retirement roomie so I want to know who came before me I, I know what it's like to room with you and I <laughs> know who the big names are whose you know, footsteps I'm following in uh, well, you've got you've got a pretty hard task to follow. Um, my first ever roommate was Rachel Vickers, uh, second row. Really, really lovely. Um, 
we were literally like mini like like mini person and very very tall six foot three person um hanging out together um there's probably been a probably two main roommates so fisher um <clears throat> I don't get naked as much as Fisher does. So. No, I was going to say when when people say you really get to see what a person's like when you're in a roommate as your roommate, um, you really do with Heather because she rarely wears clothes. Um, yeah, Heather just absolutely mental. I mean, the whole um, Tiny Tim story of her finding a bird that flew into a window and then sitting naked on a toilet with a bird on her shoulder before playing in a test match, I think, is is up there with one of the most special moments I will cherish. Um, and then also Fleeto, uh, Vicky Fleetwood, um, she was my roommate for the kind of last part-ish um, because she was with Sevens when I finished off with Fifteens. Um, just such a kind, awesome girl, just amazing. Nolly was an all-round world-class player. Her ability to sidestep five people in a row or so effortlessly put someone in space made her a handful to play against and I was so grateful to have her on my team playing for England. A ferocious player with little regard for her body left her on the sidelines more than most, but she always came back stronger, both physically and mentally. Anyone who knows Nolly will know the energy that she brings to anything she does, and that was no different when she was playing, something that's always needed in a team environment and she'll certainly be missed. A great teammate and friend. Happy retirement, Nolly. Unfortunately, she had the best rig in the team. So I based, naturally became a feeder. Um, I would take in sweets, I would take in chocolate and I, that's how, or crisps. And that's how I would justify having all of my snacks. So I was like, well, if someone with that good a body will eat that stuff, I can. Like, that's fine. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And then um, my last ever roomie with England, actually, uh, was Lark Davies. Um, really really kind awesome girl um and it was really nice to room with her actually because it wasn't someone that i got to spend a lot of time with before that um and i think that one of the things about being a roommate with someone is you really do get to see them for them um you know i was always quite a performer i know it probably surprises you um and like with the team i'd be loud and bubbling and like making jokes and then in the room i'd be like like a corpse, I just lay there. Um, and uh, experienced that Nolly on tour. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> don't touch me. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Like, I and, and I suppose there's so many other people I've been with. Um, Rachel Burford actually was always a really fun roomie, although we'd literally spend all night talking. So you'd guarantee that. I would get really exhausted after rooming with her just because even though at one point we were living together so we'd live together and then we would room together and we'd still be up all night talking I'd be like just go to sleep and be like no we're gonna keep chatting <laughs> it, it's amazing though how much um you know you, you time you spend with your roommates when you're away on tour and and how it's such an important part of of your preparation of getting yourself in a really good space and having a routine and I think, you know, in, in World Cup year in 2017, I spent more nights with, with Fleeto than I did at home <laughs> that we did with our boyfriends. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, you've got to be able to get on with them. You've got to be able to, you know, you naturally, if you're tired, like you've got to, if you're tired, which you are from training, your ratty selection, you've got to know how that person ticks. And that's super important. I think be, rooming with, with Fleeto in the 2017 World Cup was was actually really hard on us both because we're such close friends. Um, she came out late because of uh, being, coming back injured. 
Um, so I wasn't starting, didn't really feel that confident, like was doing really well, but I was kind of supporting her. And then, yeah, then came the big concussion for me. And I also was asked to leave the room. And so the, I was then really conscious that I wasn't going to be there for her. And, and um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really special bond that you build with someone. I know other teams move around a lot. Um, we tended to stay with the same person just because of that. And yeah, I, I, some of my highlights and the most ridiculous moments in my rugby career, I have been with Heather Fisher. Um, so, yeah. I, I, word, we've talked a lot about England teammates and playing for England. What about non-English players who've had an impact through your career? Um, I think early doors, I lived in Cardiff and, and was at university there and spent a lot of time with the Welsh girls traveling over. So flowers and, um, non at times if she wasn't in her posh car, um, Jamie and Birdie, um, and actually Lisa Burgess was someone that I, like, they were all fantastic, but Birdie was someone that I hugely looked up to. Um. Hi Nolly, Bird here. Just want to say congratulations to you on the most amazing rugby career. Um, one of my earliest memories of you was down at Clifton Rugby Club, where you turned up fresh-faced with that amazing smile, those wonderful dancing feet, and the flair you had on the pitch. You certainly packed and punched well above your weight with some of those tackles you put in. Great to see you playing for the Red Roses and also great to play alongside you for Clifton. Um, thank you for all you've done for women's rugby. You're a fantastic ambassador to the game and a wonderful human being. Um, good luck with everything and look forward to catching up with you soon. Cheers. One um, training session, she turned up and she's like, oh, I'm not doing contact today, girls, but I'll be fine for the weekend. And I, and I was playing scrum half, so I was doing some line out stuff. And I was like, oh, what's, what's up, Birdie? She's like, oh, well, I did split my head open at the weekend and um, I've got some staples in there. And I was like, oh, God, you've got staples in your head. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'll be fine to play. I was like, OK, no problem. <laughs> um, but I also did some training with her um, early. So I was like, you, you know, actually, the the players from different nations have been some of the coolest people have played with because you get an insight into a completely different culture and they bring in a completely different dynamic. Um, Claire Malloy is just absolutely brilliant. Um, played with her at Bristol and then at Wasps and um, yeah, she has quality. And then kind of doing full circle with that was also playing it for the Barbarians. And that was my last official big, big hurrah. Um, and to be able to play alongside so many of those, Burley was coach, um, Anna Richards, legend of the women's game, was our head coach, Malloy was in the team, um, Fee and Linda, and you know, Sene was Sene and Opie was my roommate, just the most incredible player and also girl. Yeah, like and just I think um that that summed up what rugby's about for me. And that was was something that I will massively treasure in my career because there were so many people involved in it um that had had an influence at some point you know Stockers was one of my first roommates and she was a team manager looking after Vava so she had to look after me when I was 15 and then when I was <laughs> at 34 stumbling into the hotel <laughs> you're a, a massively passionate former England player your roles with organizations like HSBC and Laureus mean that you've seen rugby around the world a lot more in the past couple of seasons do you think you can see yourself perhaps working with other international sides in the future as a consultant, as a coach, but bringing what you've, you've learned as an England player to, to other nations who perhaps are behind the curve a little bit on things? 
you know what i um i always spoke about this i remember speaking about this a few times in my career because emma mitchell who is an absolute legend of women's rugby for england and um, scrum half i think could still play there's not many players that could play three generations and i, I actually think she she could have done you know she was just awesome um and uh, she coached Canada in 2006 World Cup. And I remember talking about it then at the age of 21, like oh, I could never go and coach another team. And I think what's really hard, and I know this, this will make you laugh, but every other nation is allowed to be super passionate and proud of their nation. But if you're English and proud, you're arrogant. And, and I, but, but I am, I'm really, really proud to be English. And, and I, and, I don't know how I would feel about working with another team because I, you know, I think, oh God, like I'm going to be going up against my own team and stuff. But, but then saying that, um, having coached the Italian boys recently, I loved, I loved it. I loved working with a group of people that are from a different culture. It challenged me. Um, and I try to bring the best out in who we are as rugby nations. So for me, it's far more, um execution and you know probably a bit more military than how they like to play and chuck the ball about with passion and kind of flair in, in italy and and getting the best best of both of those um yeah so I, I think now i've experienced it i probably would um i think from a coaching perspective you know like with trying to balance all the other bits that i'm doing it's really difficult because you can't commit to get a team because I'm also commentating and I'm also doing bits. And so the moment I think the coaching, I'm just want to keep, keep ticking away. Um, but I, I have a bigger passion, probably not to be directly involved with women's rugby. I think some of it at the moment in all honesty frustrates me. And I think that that isn't a positive place to be with it. I think you need to be super passionate and I'm probably too embedded into it to, to be able to step back and look at it from a, more strategic level and how can I help influence the game I'm too emotional about it um Do you have a responsibility where, towards the women's game um I, don't, I wouldn't say responsibility I'd say a passion to make change like I genuinely sounds cheesy but I have had so much from the game and I know that any young girl that has the opportunity to pick up a ball will love it and love the opportunities that it brings not necessarily at the elite level but like you know you see the benefits it has at grassroots level but what I don't want to happen is some of the challenges that I faced and be okay with just a lot oh that's what it's like for women well no it's not that's not that's not the case um and I think changing the conversation about women's rugby is really important and one of the things that I decided to do was you know to make the most of the opportunities I've got in, from the men's game um with commentating and um punditry and media obviously with our podcast as well we talk about men's and women's and all different types of rugby and I think that that is super important because having a seat at the table in the men's game and having a voice and having an opinion highlights that it's kind of irrelevant and actually you get some pretty cool responses when people see you as a rugby pundit and not as a female player or a male player um Interestingly, you talk about rugby players and female players, and I'm like, what yeah. is it? You know, we don't need, we need, we need to change that. So, fully retired, normal person, has been. <laughs> I'm going to see a change of tone from you on the Tryhards podcast because you don't have to answer to anybody now. You do what you want. You say what you want, girl. 
try it. <laughs> I think um, what's really hard as a player, and everyone criticizes it, but you are media trained to your blue in the face because you are responsible for a brand. You're responsible for a team, a club, you're representing something that is way bigger than you as a person. And therefore you become, every time you stand in front of the media, you're a spokesperson for all of that. And I think sometimes we forget that that's the pressure that players are under. And fundamentally, if they don't, if you don't get it right, you could potentially lose your job or, and lose it or get punished by not getting picked. And um, I think, slowly but surely i'm getting more confident to you know you kind of get used to batting away emotion and what you actually think <laughs> to the media i actually watched an interview with you the other day and i was tremendously good at up from an rfu perspective with regards it's to my also the, the nolly face in a post-match interview it doesn't matter what you ask me i know what my answers are and i'm gonna start here <laughs> with my tombstone teeth Dry as a bone because I just played 80 minutes of rugby and I'm older than the rest of the back line by 15 years. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, why did you interview me? Eh? Why did you interview me? Well, because you were old and because you were the player of the match. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> oh, um, no, I've saved my rugby career. You know what? I actually am enjoying having the freedom to have more of an opinion and, and to challenge people and maybe ask a few more uncomfortable questions because I think. If anyone's going to stand up for it, if anyone's going to try and make a difference, then it's somebody that has experienced experienced change. And I think it's great, but it's not been at the pace that I think it deserves. And also, um, I don't want new the, the next generation of players that get to experience what I have to have to experience what I have. I think they need they deserve better. Um, and uh, yeah, I think. I'm, I'm not both barrels at the moment, but one barrel at a time. <laughs> well, Danielle Sean Waterman, World Cup winner, Olympian, bloody legend. Thank you for the memories. Cheers, Barbara. Feels weird saying that because we will be back next week with another podcast. So. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 